everybody be gentle with me. I'm going solo right now. We're live on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And not only that, I'm going solo, and I need your help because we're covering more than one episode this this um, go-around. So I'm wondering how many of you guys have celebrated the American Thanksgiving. Um, and I know we got a lot of international listeners from all sorts of countries, Australia, South America, Europe, um, England. It's important to make those distinctions. Um, and I'm wondering how many of you guys have a day off or how many of you guys are listening at work and stuff like that because... Because I'm going solo, I'm kind of, I'm gonna kind of need your help and your feedback. Um, we're gonna be talking about a lot of things, um, and hopefully breaking down this episode a little bit more concisely, a little bit more um, to its nitty gritty parts. Because I mean, who wants to listen to a recap episode anyway? I'm hoping this is gonna be a little bit more of a um, like audience participation kind of thing. Because the main thing about this podcast is like is the direction it's kind of tending to go towards and that's going to be more of um an audience participation sort of thing i mean the whole idea of squawking is the idea of uh like cb radios and and squawking at each other on the road as truckers and stuff like that you know and and basically trying to keep each other going keep on trucking as you know um sarah was saying on fear the walking dead so a lot of it's that uh, a lot of it is really just about um keep on keeping on and um and really just the love of the show and um sometimes it goes into deeper points and sometimes it's just fluff like you know or or maybe even just random ideas or thoughts about the show and and i kind of want to hear from you guys um so with that let's get the show started the end of the last episode we were introduced to the time jump uh or not the last episode but um episode six uh, we were introduced to the time jump, and we kind of got reintroduced at the beginning of that episode, and part of that is involves this new group. And the importance of this new group is really more of a, um, kind of like a condensed version of all the other groups. Um, the way these kind of veteran groups interact with this new group that's kind of been roughing it on its own, they've been taking care of themselves, they've obviously been whittled down to their s- small and finer parts, but at the end of the day, I mean, they do kind of represent the same kind of heart and ideal as the other groups. And they kind of act as a foil for the rest of the groups that are kind of, at the moment, um, just different now. Uh, What we're seeing is a hardened group that's been through a lot of things. I mean, not only the departure of Rick, but it seems as though that things, some things have happened. Oh, hey, superfan Rob, I see you, I hear you, and I accept you. Some of the things that um, are going on uh, within the groups is that there, there has been a sort of a cataclysmic event of some kind where it's really torn up each and every group and in particular some of the warriors and individuals in that group namely uh the ones that we that we're going to be following in the next uh for these two maybe even the next episode is um carol uh daryl and um carol daryl and michonne now one thing that was alluded to uh in the episode prior or actually two episodes prior to six so episode four was negan interact negan's interaction with michonne and one of the things that's important to point out uh is how he kind of got under her skin basically saying that you know you're a warrior just like me um doing this uh lawmaking thing and Susie homemaker thing you know, it's only going to last you so long, and it does bring about the idea of PTSD. You know, how do you how do you get a warrior to kind of live in peacetime and and you know within laws and boundaries and and not and you could see this also in Carol, obviously in uh, the episode prior too, where she kind of goes ham on some of the marauders. Um, you know, ham, roasted ham, honey baked. Um, but <laughs> you get the idea is that 
they kind of act. They're used to acting. They're not used to pausing and waiting for consensus and, and, and all that stuff. Even though Michonne's been fighting for a charter, I think it's more out of self-preservation, though. I mean, I don't think she wants to go down that path. Carol is kind of on automatic, and I think she can go either way, obviously, as we've seen. Hey, I am the Dark 2. It's good to see you. I'm actually going to need you. I'm actually going to need both you and Superfan Rob, because I am going solo today. Um... And so uh, I'm going to bring up a couple topics, um, some big bird's eye view kind of topics right now, because uh, you can basically break down all three of these episodes to three main points, um, at least in my view. Uh, And then obviously you can drill down to each of these and kind of blow them up and um, really discuss them because um, and it's kind of interesting because, I mean, I've taken notes on um, who are you now twice now because uh, of the kind of lack of, of broadcasting on our part. So, uh, so the one thing I wanted to talk about was, um, yeah, the Warriors, and I kind of went through that. Um, Daryl, Carol, and um, Michonne. And um, the one thing is that the one thing that's interesting about both of them is that they they haven't given up. They kind of lived up to Sasha's ideal in Rick's um, flashback, and part of that is the idea that the people that make those tiny sacrifices along the way, or major sacrifices, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know. It, it would be better to have them around, but, you know, they, they do what they can to move the story forward, to move our group forward, to benefit everybody. And they do try to live up to that ideal. You know, things have happened, things that we don't know. Um, and it's kind of annoying because you're kind of like, because every single moment, every single time they try, they allude to that and they're almost about to get into that. They get caught off somehow. And, and it's really frustrating because you feel like it's right on the tip of your tongue. And then I, what, I'm, what I'm afraid of, because we only have one episode before the midseason, is that we're not going to get to that part because of the introduction of the Whispers. Like, we're not going to end up knowing what happened. Um, but something did happen. Something other than Rick. And it's basically torn the communities apart. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's the idea of like... And so the things that keep them going are the tiny beacons that shine out, as Michonne says, and... Um, uh, and yeah, it's it's also people falling back to a almost like their primordial state. Like Michonne, in some sense of the word, uh, some sense is kind of gone back to her security job uh, back when Alexandria was when they first found Alexandria with both, both her and Rick. And even though there's a sort of council and stuff like that, there you know she's kind of. Uh, I mean, in a way, she's kind of on autopilot. As long as they have this role or protocol that says they're not going to have new people, she doesn't have to worry about actually challenging uh, anybody. And, you know, you know, everybody kind of goes along with her because she, you know, she is she's in some ways right. And whatever had happened, whatever traumatic event that happened to all of them um, really keeps them, you know, it, they kind of defer to her because, you know, she knows more than anybody what, you know, what can happen when you, A, probably, it's probably trusting a stranger or trusting somebody that they love that betrayed them. Um, and it, that's what it feels like is going on. And I, I'm going to get into that a little bit more in just a second. But and then you have Carol, who has kind of, instead of falling into like a prior state, sort of, because we'll talk about that in a sec, is that she's kind of fallen into this whole being the queen of the king um, raising a son and this idea of like, well, I mean, she's not with her, her deceased husband who treated her like crap, but she is, she has kind of deferred to being the wife, maybe a little bit more behind the scenes, kind of like when she was around Sophia and she's relegated herself to being the, 
mom of the prince, the queen of the king. Um, and you do see her do things. She is contributing to the community, but she, you know, she's not taking on an active role of being that warrior. And maybe that's kind of where Carol has kind of always lived, striking when, you know, people least suspect her. Um, but I don't think she's seen any of that in the last six years. And so, you know, she keeps going. I, I did want to point out something very interesting when it, when it came to um, each of their tiny beacons, and that's um, the tiny beacons that keep them moving on. Obviously, Michelle, and she finds the um, the uh, cowboy character that looks a lot like Rick and, you know, the sea of, like, a, well, many of the season posters where he's doing that gun pose. But there's other things, too, like um, like when Daryl sees the walker caught in the tree, he doesn't kill it. Um, he sees that, you know, if the worms are climbing and burrowing through that, that walker and the birds can benefit from that, that, he just leaves it alone. You know, can't do anything about it. And, you know, it's it, as long as it's there, the birds can use it. And um, and uh, Carol's is that little um, flower that's in the crack of uh, like one of the uh, the floors of the, the kingdom. And that that kind of reminded me a lot of. And I think a lot of you are old enough to remember this is the, uh, if you remember the Scarlet Letter, um, the author talks about his boring job. Um, I think he was a, um, a, either like a patent, not, not a patent clerk, a copywriter, I forget what he was. But he was talking about how boring his, his work was and he would look outside towards the prison. He would, he would notice the, the flowers creeping up through the, through the grounds. Oh yeah. Uh, it, well, and and then she and, and then the author basically says, you know, like something beautiful coming out of something so ugly. Um, yeah, exactly. So I in the dark too. Uh, she says that Carol said that people underestimated her, um, cooking cookies with one hand and blowing your brains out with the other. And I, I that's exactly. She, I call her in simplest terms like she's the chameleon. You know, she she has this one. She she projects this one appearance and then she kind of. Um, when people least expect it, attack on the other. And she did that with Jed a bunch of times too, uh, especially in the hostage situation. She she was able to fool him again in the um, the scene with the um, the savior stragglers, basically. And so so I mean, and they keep falling for it too. Apparently, you know. So it's, it's very interesting. And I I mean I think in one in one way and on one hand they kind of respect her for it too, but uh, on the other they just keep falling for it. So what's up with that? Um, so yeah, and and that's and that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, so they they do find reasons to move on. And obviously, Judith is one of them. RJ, you know, Michonne, Michonne's um, or Rishon's child. Uh, it sounds like RJ is like is Rick Jr. Let's just get that cat out of the bag. Um, but um, but yeah, there's a lot of reasons to kind of keep going. I mean, Daryl, I don't I don't know what his deal is. I mean, but maybe he. This is kind of. I mean, he did express, by the way. Um, I think it was even the first episode of this season how he's not built to live inside the walls and so i think he got his wish and he's okay with that he has a dog you know the dog i think he's been talking about that and how he kind of want to live out in the uh, in the open and and you know i don't think he meant to live on his own i think maybe he wanted to have a small group to kind of be around but i think after what's what had happened um apparently um i guess it was just the best for him he was just looking for rick and then just ended up staying out there um, but yeah, they're like kind of on autopilot, all of them in some way. But I think the first person to kind of step out of bounds is Carol. I think she does see, she does kind of defer her own desires. I mean, maybe in a way it is her desire. She is falling into that mom role and she does kind of look to see, um, how she can propel a future via, uh, the vehicle that is her quote unquote son, like, you know, Henry. And so... You know, if she can't do it for herself, she's going to do it for him. And I think part of that is, it's kind of interesting to see her take the first few steps because not only does she, and, and of course, in the most Carol manipulative way, 
the first steps being, um, you know, okay, so Henry wants to learn smithing. Cool story. Let's um, use Henry, <laughs> my son, to get Daryl out, you know, back into communities and maybe even take care of him so that he can learn to kind of be a part of something again. And in, in the process of doing that, you know, get Daryl out in the open, get him part of the community, and then, you know, who knows what can happen after that. I mean, maybe Carol can do more. There is this whole idea of the fair coming up, too. And that's that's another thing that's kind of going on, too. And so in the process of having this fair, Henry's going to Hilltop. Uh, Hilltop has been in communication, obviously, with um, the kingdom, so they have a good relationship. And so they can have some sort of even better rapport because Henry and, and now we're trading people in communities and stuff like that. And Daryl could be a part of Hilltop for a little while. Um, so, you know, it just everything just strength, you know, in the process of making Henry more useful for the kingdom, we're strengthening communities and, and getting Daryl out of, out of hiding and, and hopefully doing something more with that. So, um, yeah. And then what motivates the other groups even more is this introduction of this new group, the you know Magnus crew. And so uh, I think Michonne for a very long time has been talking to Rick and possibly Carl, um, basically justifying her actions. And that's really what it comes down to. She's literally having arguments with Rick and Carl um, in lieu of talking to anybody else. And um, and she knows she knows that it's because of the steps she's taking to, quote unquote, protect Alexandria. Now, I mean, I don't know what happened any more than any of you do. I know that you guys have your theories. But when you see this new group, it really does challenge her perceptions. Um, I think the rest of the group for many years um, has grown tired of not trusting. I think they've grown tired of not, um, you know, ha- bringing in new people. Maybe they're a little bored uh, of seeing each other's faces. Um, but you know, at the same time, uh, I think people are in a pliable state at Alexandria. They have all this stuff. They're doing really well, I think. And they want to they wanna do more. And... And I think um, I think they need to, and and it's kind of interesting how Michonne every once in, once in a while will find a way to pump the brakes too, um, and she really does you know have these really good insights and really does get people to pause at least to find out whether this is exactly what they want too, uh, and it may, you know what everybody may think they want is you know a new group and and to do new things with new people. Um, uh, it, she does remind them of the dangers. She does point out some interesting things about the group that she sees that nobody else is seeing because they've got these rose-tinted glasses. So, you know, I, and I think it's a good thing. I, and I think if you're going to make an inform, make a decision, you might as well be an informed one, right? So, um, so with that, with that, but no matter what anybody says, no matter no matter what what Michonne says, um, I think at the end of the day, they want to um, they want to maintain a sense of. Uh, you know, they're going to challenge them. They're going to challenge Michonne, whether she likes it or not, um, because she knows what she's doing is kind of counter to what Carl and Rick would have wanted. And then by extension, Judith, because she does remember, even though she says it's starting to fade. Um, so uh, I think we've beaten that one to death. <laughs> but if any, if you guys have anything to say about that, oh, hey, I in the Dark is on YouTube also. Um, yeah, so I like Magna's group too, I in the Dark. Um, I think what's really good about it is how small they are in number, how different they are in personality. And one of the best things that I like about them also is how they exemplify, and this is something I'm going to get into next. Um, hey, what's up, Sean? Nashville Negan. 
um, is the idea of this big idea of, of the heart of the group. And it's something that we haven't really latched onto in all of the seasons. We, we kind of refer to them as, you know, moral compasses. But I think at the end of the day, what we haven't focused on, and I think the closest we ever got to the heart of a group is, um, is Dale, in my opinion. Dale, and you could say Glenn, but I think, I think Dale. And I think people miss a Dale. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, and I, I think bringing in people like Luke and Bernie, or the idea of Bernie at least, is kind of important because um, and as, as we go through the communities, we'll start to see the heart of every other group um, and how essential it is for people to not only survive. Survival is just part of the equation. It's something that Luke says is that, you know, survival of the fittest isn't just the idea of beating out, you know, your, your, naturally, your natural opponents. But it's also kind of like your means of building communities, of surviving together. I mean, because you can be a Neanderthal, be mighty, be powerful, you know, be able to round out your, you know, any um, natural um, obstacles or even, you know, animal obstacles or anything like that. But, you know, the other thing is that you can survive better longer and you can go, you can stay sane when you have a community. And then furthermore, art, you know, things, reasons for living beauty. You know, every, you know everybody on this show looks really absolutely grimy and ugly. But at the same time, the idea of beauty is kind of a huge thing. Um, beauty is kind of what keeps our societies moving. It's what allows us to keep looking at television shows. It, you know, we don't. You know, it's it's kind of a weird thing to have to talk about. But when you look at something beautiful, or when you appreciate writing that's really great, acting that's really dramatic, you know, it keeps you watching. And so it's it's things like that. You know, beautiful things are kind of what keep us going. You know, in a world where let's just face it, all of us have everything what everything that we kind of need right now. You know, in whatever in in whatever kind of economic state that you're in, I find that usually um, like things have never been better than they are now. Uh, barring any uh, impending apocalypse, you know, just in our world at least. So there's just no doubt that in whatever state that you're in, beauty is going to have some sort of priority or some sort of importance. And yeah, maybe it, it's low on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs in the apocalypse, but at the same time when you've established your survival well what now you know it can't just be about food and you know and camaraderie it's got to be about art it's got to be you know it's got to be something more right so um before i go on to the heart of the group um i wanted to talk about theories on what that thing was what that event was and uh i'm gonna go a little slowly here so you guys can chime in as well um one of the most prominent theories that i've kind of seen and i kind of i kind of agree because uh, let me tell you what my dumb theory was before before um sunday rolled around and kind of ruined it what i the person i hadn't seen uh in episode six um was enid and i thought like what happened what could have happened and who have who have we not seen yet and the one person that i didn't see was enid and i was like okay somebody done killed enid um and uh it just rocked the entire community oh you know just survived somehow well she did um and then we see her um at hilltop you know as a, as a prominent doctor you know trying to even get some uh some uh, growing space for her medicines uh, so I think the, the interesting, uh, so that kind of left, uh, so that kind of made me think, okay, who's left now? What we did see in episode five is we did see, a, a, well, some of the more visual, um, uh, Oceanside people, like, well, especially, um, Kathy, whom we kind of sent it off at the beginning of, uh, our last episode, we did see her kind of go. And 
what I thought what I what I thought initially was okay wait it can't be Oceanside um, and but then the more I thought about it and I saw the Marauders the Savior Marauders Regina be having the uh, Oceanside um, harpoon I was kind of thinking well maybe the communities had decided together um, finally as a group that Oceanside was to pay for the chaos that ensued at Bridge Camp I mean especially after Rick died. Uh, emotions are hot you know what I mean so I think as a group they kind of decided hey um, Oceanside you gotta go it's over for you so maybe they decide together to kind of maybe execute them exile them which is kind of really fucked up if you think about it because you know when half of half like more than half of their population had died you know all the men and some of the children at Oceanside and then they decide to put them down for what they did at Bridge Camp. Or actually, not really necessarily what they did at Bridge Camp, but they did on the sl- slide to kind of get the saviors back from uh, the long while ago for all their suffering. Um, you know, put them down, because we haven't seen them at all. We've seen some saviors and some saviors that have joined the camps uh, and are now trusted. But um, I think something it has to do something with that. Um, and I'm the Dark 2 says... Um, yeah, okay, do you think Michonne and Daryl are the only two branded? Um, I would wager a guess to say that they're not the only two, but they are the two um, active warriors, um, I think, when it comes to, uh, when, you, when you talk about warriors. I mean, as you and I have both said, Carol's kind of a comedian. Uh, comedian? No, well, a little bit. Uh, chameleon. So I think that um, of the two, I think that she, um, you know, she would kind of find a way to not be. But... Yeah, it just begs the question, you know, like, what was it that, who betrayed them at the end of the day? Who betrayed them? What had happened? um, Or what did they have to do that they, that, or what did they have to do and who did they have to do it to, if that's the case, right? So, yeah, I think that's the real, that's the real question. I mean, when I saw Daryl's brands or scars... I noticed that he had a couple of extra slashes. Um, like when I saw Michonne's, I saw only the one X, but I saw with Daryl like an X and two lines, so I felt like twelve. <laughs> you know, I was like, so Daryl's twelve and Michonne's ten. Um, but somebody quickly called me out on that, you know, and said, uh, "Oh, you know, Daryl got beat up by his daddy." And I'm like, "Well, we haven't really talked about that since season one or two. So, I, I mean, <laughs> I I wouldn't think that. I mean, maybe some of them, but." I mean, who knows? So, you know, I, I don't think it's that. Now, obviously, if you look at Magnus Group and you had to pick who would be the heart of the group, the one that could express uh, himself is Luke. Um, and it seemed like Bernie was a little bit of the comedy. He would kind of keep things light, you know, annoy people, that sort of thing. And I think I can always admire like a ball buster or like a, somebody that's just willing to get on your nerves a little bit to kind of keep a lasting impression. Like, I mean, if you don't have more to offer than just protection and, and being rough and a fighter, you got to use your skills where you can. Um, now, what's good about a small group is that you can kind of pin each person down, you know, figure out their skills, what they can do. Um, and then, you know, obviously Luke, not really really much in the way of fighting but at the same time he's able to express people's opinions he's kind of smart he has ideas you know he's, he's pretty book smart so when it comes to decision making he has some foresight you know some ideas maybe it's not real world ideas but you know at the same time when he offers his insight about you know the, the neanderthals and the humans and who wins out you know he does give people some you know some insight into you know how important some things are in society and you know especially if you have a community a protected community like he would be invaluable you know in terms of you know how to shape it in terms of keeping people alive and interested and interesting um you know i mean 
if, if all the kingdom can eke out as a fair, I mean, I'm sure that um, Luke could think of programs to keep everybody kind of interested. So I'm really, you know, I'm kind of really into this character, even though a lot of people are kind of saying, you know, and because, of course, I don't read the comics. So some people have been saying that Luke is going to be, you know, killed off at some point, And that's kind of upsetting because... I think bringing out this idea of the heart of the group uh, and making that a very important thing to, um, as a concept for all these communities is really important because I, th- I think it really exemplifies um, how important it is to maintain that because I think it keeps the communities moving. It, it makes people not have to beg for scraps in terms of, you know, shiny beacons of hope. I mean, these people keep communities flowing and alive. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, the kingdom, if you had to pin down the kingdom's heart um, in terms of who wins out in that department. Uh, oh, before I continue with that. Um, yeah, I in the Dark 2 says he did have scars from his dad's beatings, but the X in the lower left side is new. Uh, the top right shoulder, I'm going to check that out. Well, yeah, please, please do. I mean, I know you're a, a huge Norman Reedus aficionado, so I appreciate your input. Um, and to further that, uh, I think... Yeah, it's in the same lower left side. It kind of makes me think, like, you know, obviously we could pin it down to somebody who mistrusted them or something like that, but part of me had has this, like, instinct that, like, okay, that's kind of around where the kidneys are, too. So did somebody need a kidney and then died on them? Like, that would be a horrible thing to have happen. You know, maybe that would make me not want to bring in people, I think. You know, just to, you know, save them and just to lose them again. Um but it could be anybody or it could be like one of those black market um, kidney type of stealing in the middle of the night sort of things you know I need this kidney and well who's who's a surgeon enough to kind of do that anyway but I don't know it's just this is weird sort of thing to see it be in the same spot you know um, uh, but anyway so um, but yeah I mean you could look at Jerry and you could say that he's a he's the kind of heart of the kingdom but I think at the end of the day when it comes to right wrong um, it being involved you know the charisma and all that stuff. I mean, Henry is a capable warrior too. So there is a little bit of a difference between a Luke and a Henry. So when you look at Henry, he's, he's pure of heart. He's kind of like, um, if you, if you had to look at it in so in sort of a lens, you had to think about those knights that are pure of heart that can't enter certain domiciles. And unless you are pure of heart and, um, we see it by the end of episode seven, that he's not as much pure of heart. Maybe he's been thinking of eating it a little bit too much, <laughs> but you know, I think I'd give him a pass in the post-apocalyptic world. Uh, I think I would give him a pass anyway because he sounds like he's a cool dude. Um, but, you know, he wants to do what's right, you know, fight what's wrong, kind of what Carol had told him in season eight, I believe, as young Maxon uh, Henry uh, had once received that advice. Um, but uh, in terms of practicality, I think Carol is starting to see that, like, look, the dude wants to be a part of the world, but I think he needs to learn some hard knock lessons um, in order to kind of proceed. And I think part of that training is going to be with Daryl, you know, out in the wild. But also part of that's going to be and that's the thing. I mean, if you look at the episode, um, episode five or sorry, episode six, when they run into the Savior Marauders, think about it. I think that Carol had meant to bring Henry through this route where she kind of knew that the saviors were going to be either to kind of deal with them and teach Henry that lesson or to, you know, realize that there are people out there that want to do harm. Um, and you know, you're going to have to be flexible. You're going to have to know it's not just about right or wrong and dying in the, in the name of uh, pursuit of a cause, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Life has meaning, and so there's value in teaching Henry that lesson. I mean, so it kind of it kind of begs the question. So before I continue about uh, asking the question, um, yes, 
thank you, I in the Dark 2. Um, she went back to the episode when Merle saw Daryl's back, and the X is in the top right shoulder. Good call. Thank you. Had a feeling. Um, I didn't know about the other scars, the two lines next to the X, which made me think of numbers, like Roman numerals. But um, thank you. So, um, yeah. So uh, he needs to know the difference between right and wrong. Um, yeah. And I think he's getting a good lesson so far. And what's interesting about Henry is that he's not oblivious to Carol's you know, chameleon-like-esque uh, character, too. She knows she, He knows she's a manipulator. He knows that she has the ability to kind of weave in and out of situations. She knows that she does this with uh, King Ezekiel all the time, um, who I call Zeke, because it's easier. And, um, oh, so, the, you know, I had a question. So, so the question that I actually had about, about um, Carol is, do you think that Carol intentionally took Henry through that route towards Daryl's place um, to teach him a lesson about, you know, via the Marauders. Um, I know that there's a little bit of delay, so I won't be waiting for your answers, but I will um, take a look, you know, I'll be looking while I continue. Um, so if you wanted to talk about the heart of Alexandria, there's quite a few people that you can look to. Um, you know, first, I mean, first, the easy one to get out of the way is Judith. Um, you know, she's taking real world um, lessons that she's getting from Negan, but she's also got Carl's, you know, answers, Carl's like desires and in, uh, in her head and, and Rick's kind of sacrifices and the things that he says and does and what he wanted in the long term. She puts her foot down when it comes to not, you know, to saving Magna's group. She says enough's enough. We got to we got to tend to these people. We just can't leave them here. Um, and the other person that I would kind of choose, uh, there's actually two people I would choose in terms of two other people at Alexandria that I would choose to be the heart. Uh, one of which is Sadiq. And he's kind of like a living embodiment of Carl's desires, Carl's um, wish for the future. Um, and I think it's in the forefront of his thoughts every single day. I, I think he thinks about it all the time. I also think, you know, that there's a part of him that wishes he could speak out a little bit more. I know that he's been looking at, um, I know he's been looking at um, uh, communicating with um, Hilltop a little bit via Aaron. Um, so there's that. But there's also, um, I mean, there's also like, the, you know, when Luke asks him about, uh, you know, what's changed, you know, what, what caused you to kind of stop looking into strangers? Um, you know, he goes, you know, things, I forget what exactly he says. He says, um, uh, ooh, I should bring up my sticky notes, but yeah, he says something to the effect of, you know, things happen, you know, some things change. And, um, and I know that's not what he wants, you know, it's, it's, he's always going to be the one to kind of say, Hey, we got to take in people because he is one of those people. Um, but the third person at Alexandria that we need to look at in terms of the heart of the group and um, is Father Gabriel. And if you think about it, um, he, out of all the people who's kind of grown to become a little bit tougher, it was kind of interesting to see him at the council say, we are not soft. He's kind of come a long way. Um, T-E-S, I in the Dark too. Oh, I think you mean yes. Okay, so... <laughs> I think I in the Dark is, uh, too is agreeing with me that she did, that Carol did intentionally um, bring Henry through uh, like a, an area where she knew the saviors would be. Um, yes, I'm, I'm glad you agree with me because that was kind of in, the, in my mind. Why would she bring her son in harm's way? You know, that sort of thing. But then also, why wouldn't she? she I, it's obvious that he needs a hard lesson in terms of figuring out, you know, how to, it's not always about black and white, right, right and wrong, you know? Which I had thought was Carol learning things, basically learning from past experience. You know, it's, you, you know, from the prison, you know, taking things, matters into her own hands and burning people alive to keep people safe. But to also, it's kind of like an orthodox approach. 
Um, but I would have thought she would have grown a little bit in terms of, of not, you know, being at least a, somewhat of an example. Uh, but yeah, so Father Gabriel, sorry, I got off, I got off track a little bit, but Father Gabriel, um, being the third heart of Alexandria, uh, yeah, he's come a long way. He's got, you know, he's, he's been through so much. He's been through this like, you know, sight altering illness. And it's kind of interesting to see him still maintain a sense of heart and hope, um, and, and to be this kind of beacon of community and, and counsel and, and, and um, you know, in, in some senses he goes, he goes beyond, um, you know, his, he, he, he kind of goes over um, of Michonne sometimes saying, oh, you know, hey, let's put, let's put, let's put it as a vote. Like what the fate of these people, like instead of putting it in her hands and letting her take control, it's kind of interesting to see him kind of assert his authority, you know, his kind of heart authority, but his authority nonetheless. We see that he is capable. We know that he can take care of himself, you know. But I think the key is that it's knowing that he can do that, knowing that he's part of the group now, finally, knowing that he's not, not going to go back, uh, knowing that he confronted Anne, you know, somebody he loved very much six years ago, um, because things have changed, <laughs> um, and and uh, it, for the greater good and for the, for the sake of the community um, in order to kind of move things forward. And so... I think he's the heart of the group because the heart wants what the heart wants. And some of that is um, finding out new communities and seeing what's out there and, you know, really putting it to a vote when it comes to this new group, seeing that there is a level of heart that, you know, but also seeing the reactions of everybody around him, like looking at Aaron, you know, and looking at Rosita and Judith, their desire to help. And I think there's a, you know, a natural part of him. He's still the priest, you know, he's still, you know, he's, that's part of his, I would say it's part of his DNA, you know, it's something that he can't ignore, uh, the, the desire to help people. So, you know, why not, right? You know, why not embrace that part of you that wants to do more, um, for people? Um, so I, I so Alexandra is in the position to, and maybe it's a hindrance too, like having three hearts means that there's three people kind of pushing in a certain direction. And it may be a direction that's not, you know, ideal for them as a community, you know, for whatever thing that they faced a long time ago. So it kind of remains to be seen. Um, so what I'm going to do right now is talk about Hilltop. Hilltop is a weird one. I don't think we have, um, I don't think we have enough data on Hilltop to determine who the heart is. I do know that when it comes to Hilltop, I believe, I do believe that Jesus is partially the heart. And I would even say he's like kind of like a half heart. Um, you know, without Tara, I don't think he would be able to keep things moving. And it's kind of funny when you think about it, because if you think about how useless Gregory was, and this is something I actually mentioned in previous episodes, how, and I asked Carol this question was, you know, do you think life at Hilltop would have been better, been better with Gregory in charge, but as ineffectual as he was, you know, with Maggie as his number two, he would be kind of like a punching bag, you know, the effectively like a punching bag. You could blame everything on the president, but like the person that that's really in charge, let's say like the Dick Cheney of, of the operation is Maggie. And everybody loves Maggie. Everybody loves that, you know, we can crap all over Gregory, but we know that Maggie's the really really the person that's getting everything done. And so we kind of have the same situation here. I mean, if you look at Jesus and Tara, um, Jesus is kind of like checked out. And at first I was kind of like ticked off because I, I kind of like Jesus. I kind of like that he's fair-minded. I like that he listens. I like that he knows the people. I think... I think he could be a good leader. I think he's a good. I think he's a good soldier. I think he's loyal, but I think he does. He's kind of like a Daryl too. You know, he's not good inside the walls. You can clearly see that he's not comfortable in Maggie's office when we when we see him at Hilltop, uh, you know, refusing to take it. 
Um, so there are those elements. There's elements of, you know, they, he's a complicated character. You know, he, he wants what he wants. He wants to be able to look, I mean, kind of like Aaron also, he wants to go out and venture and find new people and bring them in, but it's kind of also against protocol as we see in the sneak peek for next, for this Sunday's, um, mid season finale, uh, how they have, um, how they, they're even having Ale- the Alexandrians, um, Diane is having them, um, disarm. Um, so yeah, uh, so it's kind of indeterminate. Um, if Tara's the one half, you know, the right ventricle, you know, Jesus is the other, the left ventricle, and maybe that's what keeps the heart, the, you know, the heart moving. Or maybe it's some of these new guys. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but it could be like you know, Addy and, and those three um, at Hilltop. And we're, I know that we're going to see some more of that when um, when this Sunday rolls around. But and that's the other thing too. Like my, I'm I'm hoping that Sunday is long enough to be able to cover more than just the whispers reveal because um, there's a part of me that, as I mentioned before, that wants to wants to ha- have at least some sort of insight into what happens, you know, within six years to blow these communities apart. Um, because if I have to wait till February to find out, that's going to be really frustrating. So the one thing to to consider with all of these scenarios is that the different means to which they each community or each entity kind of protects their heart and it's obvious to me like when you look at the kingdom you know zeke and carol are completely helicopter parenting henry like they're doing what they can to get to be a little bit more hands-off um but at the same time there's only so much that they can do and i think that carol recognizes that i think that um if henry is to be a man and to be a warrior and to actually be somewhat of a leader which he's kind of stepping into that role uh, I think that he needs to get some real life experience from Daryl, and I agree with you. Um, I in the dark too. I think Daryl and Henry would be a good um, pairing. I think they can feed off of some of their strengths and weaknesses. I think Daryl does need to have somebody in his life, kind of like Rick, that has a, a sense or a, a, an instinct about right or wrong. And then maybe even um, as we've seen, Daryl ha- does have a sense of right and wrong, you know, good and bad, and, and stuff like that. And I think he'll be able to kind of. Uh, express things that Carol is uncomfortable expressing in terms of right and wrong. Like, obviously, Carol can tell people about right and wrong. But I think as we've seen with the Marauders, the Savior Marauders, um, I think she's afraid she's going to pass on the wrong message, as she might have already had, um, by showing Henry that she has the ring, and that maybe Henry should be a little more terrified of her. Um, because maybe that's not the right way to be. Uh, and I think Daryl's a bit more tactical. I mean, yeah, he can be just as rough, but he's... Um, but I think he's shown compassion before. I mean, we've seen that with Dwight. Um, I'm, I don't know if... I think we have seen some of that with Carol. I think um, instead of killing Jed outright a couple of times, one time being the, um, the hostage situation with Rick, um, I think she was just following Rick's lead. But the thing that that um, may stand out a little bit, and we don't really know, is what happened at Bridge Camp. You know, when when Oceanside started firing at the Saviors, and she said no, it cuts out. So, and Jed does mention that he, you know, he that she kind of saved him a little bit. You know, back there, he's obviously still alive. So, she did something to protect him, and maybe that's her biggest regret. I don't know. But what I do know is that I don't think she. I think she does not want. Uh, or doesn't have the ability to pass on the kinds of um, real-world advice and um, nuance when it comes to dealing with people um, more than Daryl could. Um, and that's great, because I think they'll feed off a lot a lot from each other. New Rick, let's say. So, but then we go back to the new group, and it's obvious that, that instead of kind of rolling their eyes at Luke, every time he talks and kind of takes the mic, um, they kind of encourage him. They kind of 
they kind of react to what he says in a positive way or, or in a, an agreeable way. They, they do see that when Luke speaks, that he is an extension of them um, and that they accept his word when it comes to um, the way they really want to express themselves when they obviously can't. Like if you look at Magna try to react to everybody, it's more aggressive and more standoffish. But when Luke speaks, she uh, emotes, you know, so. So, yeah, we do see that. Um, uh, and I think it's like in the simplest terms, the fact that they all react and they all kind of react along with Luke is kind of like a 5.1 stereo sound kind of thing, like where Luke is the center speaker. You know, he gets uh, he gets a lot of the screen time and they're OK with that. And it's one thing I noticed about about the group is that and Luke points this out very clearly. Like if you looked at all of us on the lunch table, it's like there is we couldn't be more different. We couldn't have come from more different places. And it's kind of true. But the fact that they're all breathing is what keeps them together. And so so when when you see Luke speak for them and they react in kind, like they are an extension. He's an extension of the group. Um, and then when it comes to action, he kind of retreats within them, you know, like in the circle. You know, he does take part, but he is kind of, you know, exposed. And so they protect him because they realize how vital the heart is. And maybe they realized it before anybody else has. So, um, yeah, um, so Zeke and Carol to Henry, um, <clears throat> rest of Magna's group to, um, to Luke. Uh, and I think it's obvious to say that, like, the person that is heavily protected in Alexandria is, I mean, obviously by firewall is, like, Sadiq. I mean, he doesn't go out. He's a doctor. But then there's Judith. Now, Judith does go out, but she's protected by many adults. I mean, she's capable. I mean, clearly. She's learning how to use a sword. She has a sword. Um... I think it's fantastic. I think it's really, really cool to see. But, you know, the, the group does kind of, you know, lose track of her every once in a while. <laughs> and she, they do, um, do, they do have a hard time keeping track of her. And she, every now and again, she'll pick up a new group. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, everybody around her is trying to keep her safe and protected and everything. And, and it's kind of fun to watch. Um, and that pretty much covers it. I, I think the the rest of this season is going to, you know, revolve around the idea of the heart and and what happens when that heart is removed. I mean, we we are already seeing some of that when it comes to Bernie finding Bernie, um, being a part of that that herd that trounces their uh, Magnus group's old camp. Um, and part of the interesting about that group is how um, is how um, the the herd basically comes around again after going through it. So you can s clearly see. You know, between uh, the herd coming back on their camp, you know, along with Bernie, and then also um, what happens to Eugene and Rosita in terms of the herd kind of making a U-turn and going back to the water tower, you do see elements of of uh, of the Whisperer's hand and all of that. I mean, especially, obviously, when, when you hear them um, with Rosita and, and Eugene. Hey, so what do you guys think about Daryl doing the little intro to previously on The Walking Dead? Um, I thought it was a good handoff, and they are—they are seeming to actually um, push him as kind of like the flagship character. If you notice, like if you've seen some of the promo materials for Talking Dead, you know when they go on break uh, between commercial breaks, they kind of bring him up as the as the kind of um, you know Sundays at AMC, 9 p.m., 8 p.m. Central. Oh, thank you, I'm the Dark Two. I, I really appreciate that. It's it's you have no idea the serial killer board that I've got going behind you know into doing a solo show because like it's all on my own. Um, I I literally have if I should take a screenshot of my left monitor. I have like sticky notes full of talking points and like in like tracking points, plus a word doc of like a bird's eye view of the kind of things I wanted to talk about in terms of concepts. 
the edited version of this podcast is probably going to be far better. And um, but I do. I think the biggest thing about doing a live show is is the ability to interact with the crowd. You know, like you. I mean, you've been a really big help. Oh, uh, you asked a question too, and I missed it. Um, question: uh, Daryl's vest has wings in the back. Have you noticed the right wing is mostly missing from the top down? I didn't. I did not. What do you think it means? And do you think it may be part of, like, what happened? Or maybe it's, like, an angel with its wings kind of broken, like a little baby birdie? <laughs> I mean, there is that bird analogy and that bird imagery, um, and maybe there's an identification with that. You know, <laughs> the idea that he's a, he's a bird that has an unmended wing or something, you know, and maybe that unmended wing is Rick not being in his life anymore, his right hand or his right wing. The little baby bird wing is missing, um, like him being hobbled. There's a lot of imagery on the show that a lot of people don't talk about. Something that I brought up um, in season eight, uh, you see you see Jadis use some of the blue paint in her canvas before, I think this is before Stephen Ogg arrives, um, Simon, um, and kills um, Tamiel and all that stuff. And they use the same color blue paint, um, Judith and Carl, on the patio, or sorry, on the porch, um, when they're putting their handprints on the, um, at the corner. And, you know, obviously we see the handprints uh, in Michonne, in Rashon's house. Um, and I was just trying to figure out what that means, you know, what is, what does that mean? Like, what, what ties Jadis and Carl and Judith and stuff like that? What is, what is the significance? And, like, Carol's just kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, help me out here. They don't do these things for no reason. Um, so, you know, there's things like that that happen. Um, uh, you know, for the longest time, we didn't know what the A's and the, you know, the A's were and the B's were at um, at the heaps, things like that. And we, we, would, we didn't know until just now. And we had assumed it was A for Alexandria, you know, kind of like what they were doing at um, at the sanctuary. Uh, but it, it, it wasn't that. So, who knows? I have like a cup of coffee because it's obviously daytime. And uh, I poured a whole bunch of this like this like tequila Bailey's. I was hoping to be more drunk <laughs> for this. Hmm. Hey, so what are you guys doing today? Like, are you guys at work? How are you hanging in there? Where are you from? Tell me a little bit more about you. Because I'm kind of curious to see how people are spending their Friday. Especially people in the U.S. I mean, it's kind of a split between... Um, there are, like, I think half the people I know are going to work and half aren't. Um, but I'm really curious. What's your deal, people? Obviously, I'm not at work. Or if I am, I'm a, a really crappy employee. Um, I, I don't have work. But, you know what? I'll tell you what. I wouldn't know if I had work anyway. <laughs> because I'm with you guys. And I have all, all my other means of communication muted right now. It's all about you and me. But mostly you. Nah, but mostly me. Because it's just me. And part of what I want to do is to change that a little bit. Oh, I mean, I do have one more big, big ticket topic to, to talk about. Hey, do you guys catch Talking Dead 2? Um, the last one with uh, Cudlitz and um, Dan Fogler and the Lynch siblings. Uh, I had only caught that today because w- I had gone hiking that last Sunday and I barely finished The Walking Dead, watching The Walking Dead that Sunday. And when it came to time for Talking Dead, I just completely passed out. I did not see a bit of that. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting to hear like how production will absolutely stop, you know, based on certain conditions. And um, and Dan Fogler looked like he was absolutely high, but it was absolutely amazing to watch because he was just so like <laughs> he was just so in in the here and now. Like if I was him, I'd be doing the same thing, playing with some of the props that are on the on the coffee table and getting progressively more high. <laughs> 
Oh man, it, cause, and it's kind of amazing to see him. Um, the difference between his character on, well, first of all, in in real life, but then also in uh, in The Walking Dead, and then also in uh, Fantastic Beasts, how different they are. Um, wow, there is a huge lag because you just said um, he did see the bird's nest, bluebird. Yeah, there is a huge lag. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I see you laughing, but the problem is that there's such a huge lag, uh, Eye in the Dark too, is that I don't know what you're laughing specifically at, because <laughs> you know, I have just spewed a bunch of crap just now, and I have no track. <laughs> oh, man. Hysterical. Yeah, I'm, I've been curious about where you're from, Eye in the Dark too. also, you know, um, when the stream finally catches up. <laughs> Um, I've been kind of curious about where everybody's from. Like, I mean, uh, you know, we are TRD, uh, we, we are TWD 73 slash 93 or 70, I forget what the, I know she has a 93 count or he, um, um, but now he's far, he's far away or she's far away. Um, I guess some people live in the shadows <laughs> a little bit more than some people. Um, I'm, I'm fairly public. I mean, you have to kind of dig just a little bit to find out who I am and where I'm from and all that stuff. But, I mean, I'm fairly public. I used to not be. But um, for the sake of the show, I decided to kind of creep out of the shadows and present myself to the world. Um, it's a good thing I'm recording this because that was a pretty good accent. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm your host, David Cameo. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> Whether day, uh, during the day, at night, in winter, or in summer. Um, I'm a hopeless romantic at heart. Um, don't know what else to say about me. I like The Walking Dead. I like Fear the Walking Dead. In some respects, I like each of them for different reasons. Um, I'm a singer-songwriter. That's a good thing to mention. Um, I haven't done that in a while, but I, I do fantasize about getting back into it. If I can get a handle of this computer... <laughs> It, watching XSplit, this uh, what I'm using to, to broadcast to Instagram. Watching it start is like watching a paint dry. It's just logging in. Oh, why do you even need to log in? What is your deal, XSplit? What are you lacking in life? So that's what I'm dealing with right now. Mm. Oh, by the way, <laughs> I am the dark too. I don't know if you said anything yet, but we'll see in a second. Um, for the last couple weeks since you released that video, that video on your YouTube channel. So if you guys want to see um, this video. And I've meant to repost it, by the way. Um, but um, I in the Dark 2, if you just look for I underscore in underscore the underscore Dark 2, uh, her latest video is absolutely infectious. The song that she chose and the visuals, um, and this was basically around the time where episode 5 aired, and it was really kind of focusing on Daryl and, and Rick's relationship and, you know, the whole idea of being brothers and stuff like that. But every time I'm about to go up um, uh, to do a broadcast, I, I, I start singing the damn song. <laughs> I'm like, I got you, brother. I got you, brother. So I do that every time I get on the mic because it's just a good way of kind of hearing my levels. You know, because in case I start screaming, I, I know how, hard, how high I'm going to be. But singing is kind of like the mid-level to that. So it, it just it's very infectious, you know. And I know that you didn't create the song and blah, blah, blah. But, you know. You know, different strokes. You, you, you're the one who who started it. She who dealt, who she who smelt it, dealt it. Well, actually, technically, it was me then. Ugh. I said it is my fault. You know, I used to work in radio, um, like very amateur college, post college radio. We had a we had a show before shows were podcasts <laughs> on the internet, um, and we would not have put up with this bullshit. <laughs> tell you right now. Um, yeah, and now the printer's going off. It's really professional. It's really, really good operation we've got going here. 
Oh, that really does take the bricks out of the bag when things like this happen. I find it more funny and hilarious than it is matter of professionalness. Professionalness? Mm, that's a word now, today. My wife is a teacher, so we have to kind of give her a little bit of rope. <laughs> Sneeze of printouts. <laughs> I keep forgetting that I put it on slow mode. My fear when it comes to YouTube chat, and this is like the stupidest fear to have if you're a, if you're a small outfit like us, my fear is not being able to catch up with the chat. Here's the thing. I, we don't have a huge enough audience to be worried about it. But like I have this thing in the back of my mind that like I'm an engineer. So it's kind of like I'm always prepared for the worst case scenario. Like if people start flooding the chat, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen? So I keep it on slow mode to kind of give it a 60 second lag. <laughs> so um, I probably should take that off, you know, just to just to have a more interactive chat with you. <laughs> just stupid. Me and my dumb engineer brain. I, I've out-engineered myself. This is like, by the way, where I'm at right now is where, um, like, when I listen to other podcasts, other, like, not as much the Walking Dead podcast, but some, uh, it's that equivalent. I used, I, I think this is karma, actually. I, I, when I was in college, I was, I was just telling you guys about the college radio show that I used to have. It was just a bunch of guys telling, telling, like, weird but real stories that happened to both us and, um, in life, in, in, in the news. You know, we, we'd read a lot of FARC.com, F-A-R-Q, I think it was, dot com, uh, articles. And, and we were, like, pretty good. We were, like, a solid group, you know. I, I wasn't really, um, leading the show. I was more of color commentary. And, um, and, you know, we had a, we had a really good thing going. We thought, you know, if, if we'd gone any further, we would have gone the way of, like, a podcast of, of the way of, um, maybe YouTube even. We kind of, like, got screwed out. Uh, and we kind of all split up. And, um, but, like, at the time, I was listening to some of the other stations, the other um, um, uh, outfits that were on the station that we were broadcasting from and uh, on the internet page. Um, and it was just, like, nails on a chalkboard just trying to listen to some of these other hosts because they're doing exactly, like, what what I'm doing right now. Just kind of, like, talking out loud and going, hey, that's really cool. Yeah, okay. Next thing that we're going to talk about in, like, but like, but more talking to themselves and more, um, and now, and now, and here's, here's the mistake that you make as a, as a broadcaster who's in a relationship with another quote unquote broadcaster. I can say quote unquote, because now she's a long time ex-girlfriend is that it's not a good idea to tell your girlfriend that her, her, um, her show sucks. Uh, or not that her show sucks. I had just said that our show is way better than hers because because it was okay first of all second of all um like i would listen to her show and it would really be just it was just a lot of giggling uh, at the end of the day like it was going to be about it would be about like um emo music basically talking about emo music people in the news and stuff like that but it just didn't seem in any way cohesive and um at least we had kind of like a program idea we kind of work on improving the show with every every episode and and just listening to her show i i listened to it like a couple times it was it was just this thing where like she would just they would just she would she and her co-host would just kind of giggle it every time they brought up something and it would be like five minutes of giggling and then maybe three minutes of talking about something relating to emo music and, um, I mean, I have to thank her. I kind of got into that realm of music, but at the same time, uh, no thanks. It was probably one of my worst relationships I've ever been in, <laughs> and partially because there was, like, that competitive element, like, where she couldn't compete, and I would, uh, and, and it would be always this thing where, because I mentioned it, because I mentioned how, um, you know, how much better my, our show is, our show was than the other ones, um, <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, yeah, it, it just became a bone of contention within our relationship, so... 
eh, what are you gonna do? Oh, so yeah, um, I in the dark is saying uh, you're making me cry. You touched my heart telling others about my video, and yeah, I mean it's it's true. It was really touching. It was touching to watch. It was really it was a really really great um, sequence of uh, just the way you weaved that the music and then the um, the feeling and the way you cut the the video. It was a really good video. And um, you know, at some point, I'm going to be sharing that. I just things just get in the way. The fact that I'm here right now is evidence of that. You know, the fact that Carol's not here with me. So, uh, you know, yeah, my wife just came in here and said, what, are, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to figure this out right now. Um, okay, so the, the third thing I wanted to talk about was um, isolation. Okay, so the thing that's going on with the three communities right now is they're in three separate modes of openness. Um, so, yeah, I did already mention that the the, the idea that Oceanside um, may have been condemned to death, um, you know, for killing the saviors at Bridge Camp. But whatever it was, it just, it, whatever the event was that, that really rocked the communities, uh, the one thing that ties everything together is that um, whatever it was, the impact stuck with all of them, you know, no matter who it was. And, um, uh... And the thing, the thing that's unraveling everything right now is the introduction of this new group and the idea of walkers that can talk and have intention and seek out their prey a lot more intelligently. So, <laughs> I'm the Dark Two is noticing that the printer went off. Finally, this is there's like a there's got to be like a five minute delay at least. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. So the way they present themselves is as follows. Okay, so you got Alexandria. So. Alexandria has completely cut itself off from the other communities, um, in a manner of speaking, like as as a matter of policy. Let's put it that way. Um, especially Hilltop, um, they have protocols against taking in strangers and, and really seeking out other people and helping other people out, um, which is like a direct violation of what Carl and Rick, you know, as an extension, wanted for the future. You know, the idea that people are key. You know, it's us versus the dead. Um, so, and, and this is the thing that causes them to kind of, uh, causes Michonne to kind of talk to herself because she's constantly having to defend herself to ghosts. Um, and when you look at the king, so, but the thing about that is, is that in terms of isolation though, um, you know, you do see eventually that Aaron does travel outwards, um, and meets up with Jesus every now and again. Um, they do kind of keep a line of communication open, especially since the fair is the thing. You know, the fair is what it's all about. Um, and this is something that they've been probably thinking about for a while, and they're finally putting into effect. And um, and speaking of uh, the kingdom, um, a lot of people say that the kingdom is in shambles. Um, and I think that's that was the case for a very long time. But I think the hill, I think the, I think kingdom is doing pretty well. It looks like they're thriving a little bit. They do have some setbacks in terms of infrastructure. Um, and, um, and, uh, I, I think they're doing the best they can. I think they have some setbacks with agriculture, as you see in the beginning of, uh, that episode and some infrastructure issues. Um, but I do think that they are doing their best. They're thriving. They're trying to prepare for this fair. Um, and I think it's the, the fair is going to be the linchpin to trying to actually get them back up and running again, because I think, um, I think they need this. I think they need to kind of round out, um, whatever holes they need to fill, you know, in terms of, you know, their needs, you know, their everyday needs. Um, I think they can handle it, but I think it's, it would just be better to have this community, to be able to trade, to be able to have, I mean, look, they're a kingdom full of warriors, you know? I mean, they do grow some things here and there, but that's what they've been about. Um, and, um, and you do see them kind of thriving in, in not as well as Alexandria, not nearly as well as Hilltop, but you know, uh, 
they're still part of the family. Let's put it that way. I mean, they're like the the cousin we don't talk to anymore, but you know, we still have a fond relationship with. Um, and I think um, sending Henry off to Hilltop is kind of a, a good first step because the Hilltop does have somewhat of a relationship with the kingdom. And you know, sending the prince over to uh, to to get some skills and to also learn some real life lessons is not a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> I love I love Eye in the Dark 2's belated reactions right now to my story about my ex girlfriend radio host person. Um, <laughs> yeah, she does suck. She's horrible. Um, now the hilltop is, as we see from both episodes, the hilltop is insane. They are thriving, like they are enterprising. Like if this was a conglomerate corporation sort of thing, they are they are out of this world doing well. Um, to the point where like they have like agriculture reports. They call ag reports. Like they're like using acronyms and stuff. And uh, and uh, you know it's pretty self sustaining given the fact that yeah Jesus is all but checked out, but Tara's kind of filled in. Um, yeah, Maggie's gone. Uh, something that we had suspected, but we find out in the last episode that, you know, it, we, we knew she had finally taken up Georgie's request. I mean, we'd predicted it, but it, it doesn't really take a leap to figure it out. Um, and you know what? Yeah, and I mentioned it before, the Hilltop kind of just thrives anyway when there's no real leader. <laughs> you know, when there is a, a leader like Maggie, like maybe not so much, there's a little bit more strife. Um, now, what what is the catalyst for the story thus far is like Magna's group entering the picture to Alexandria there. You know, it causes people to, to think about the current security protocols. Um, it challenges Michonne, you know, in terms of her ideals, like her, her new found ideals after whatever the incident was. Um, I think Henry coming of age has given, you know, Carol purpose, you know, like hope within her child, maybe the child that she never really got to, um, raise. And so I think she's, she's doing it right with Henry. Um, and you know, after Aaron and Jesus find, uh, Rosita, um, it give Hillstop a means to let others in, to maybe let Alexandria have a dialogue with them. And, um, because clearly Hilltop has also mutually isolated itself from at least Alexandria. I mean, not to the extent that Alexandria has from everybody else, but, you know, they, they have somewhat. I think what I'm going to do right now is bring up my sticky notes and just go through a couple things that I found interesting throughout the episodes. <laughs> okay, going to the beginning of episode six, just to, to bring you back a little ways. Um, you know, Michonne is kind of venturing out. You know, obviously, she goes to the spot where we lose Rick, you know, quote unquote. Um, but when she finds that little that little passenger van, um, that little 70s passenger van, I, I, I'm like, I'm so amused that there's not there wasn't more of a reaction about um, her finding those two huge kilos of coke <laughs> and just kind of like tossing them aside. Because I was thinking to myself like, OK. You know, I know people are too into survival to be um, addicted to drugs, but I'm just thinking to myself, like, give that shit to Sadiq. I mean, it's a stimulant. He can make something interesting out of it. Um, so, you know, I just found that a little funny. Just the fact that, like, nobody's talking about the coke, you know? Um, and uh, the, I do love the, the whole sheriff figurine. I love how it's like a little totem that gets passed around a little bit, too. Um, the idea of Rick, in, you know, in pose, in sacrifice pose, technically. Um, rep, you know, representing like Rick and 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 part of what Rick wants and in his desires and and the idea of community and, and rallying around a symbol and that sort of thing. And I think having that for Judith, Judith is very important, considering that she is forgetting you know their voices and stuff. Um, and we talked about the birds. We talked about the Scarlet Letter. Um, things I found interesting too. Uh, so, <laughs> so 
I loved the interaction that uh, Gabriel and Rosita had. A lot of people were really anti them, and it really kind of boggles my mind a bit because um, I know what people want out of the show. I know that a lot of people want Daryl to be in a relationship. I mean, I do too. But I have my own agendas. I have my own suspicions. You know, even though they, they might reveal themselves differently on the show. Like, take for example, I always had thought, uh, had kind of been leaning lately um, on the idea that Daryl is gay. And I think it's a reasonable proposition when you consider, or, I mean, you could easily say, okay, you could go the gay route, but you can also say that, you know, Daryl is kind of like an adult boy, you know, um, who hasn't quite grown up. And that's more of an answer from me. But in the interim, it's fun to kind of play with the idea that he's that he may be gay because and even furthermore, I mean, I know they're starting to flesh out this idea of Aaron and Jesus being a couple. But part of me wants just um, Aaron and, and Daryl to be a couple, too, because they, they were the original people that went on the runs. And I know how the comic book goes, but they've been flaunting, um, you know, they've been kind of veering off the comic book path for a little while now. So, I mean, why not go into this opportunity to, to you know, make somebody um, who hasn't really shown a semblance of sexuality, really at all, more of an aggressive kind of nature, but, like, I just, I, I don't see why they don't go that route. I, mean, I don't I don't see why they can't figure out a way to kind of go that path. Um, so why not? Um, why not go that way? Um, but then going back to Gabriel and Rosita, I, I love when the show has this opportunity to kind of play with the audience, you know, play with their hearts a little bit because they, they kind of know where Rosita go- ends up in more ways than one. But the idea that they can throw a little curveball in there in the, in the interim to kind of get people going like, wait, 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 what? I mean, who doesn't like, who doesn't like surprises? Who do? Who wants things to turn out exactly how they're laid out in the comic book? I mean, there's some, with some things that's, I get that. But with other things, it's kind of like, okay, oh, that's interesting. There's a little surprise here. Like, we thought it was going to go one way, and it's not, you know? So, and I've, I've said this before on the show, and I think I even said that when I, when I um, well, actually, no, we never even got a chance to break this down. So when I saw this, I, I could literally show you the screenshot from when I messaged um, Carol. I was kind of like, whoa, 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 Father Gabriel's getting it on with Rosita. And I was kind of like, that's, that's really interesting choice um and a lot of people are upset about it and i think it's really dumb i think it's really really dumb i think there's something funny about uh father gabriel being able to get it on with two people in the show um probably the two most attractive people in the show in my in my estimation um i think given their careers too like i think they're both technically models in real life well other than their acting careers um, or at least they're fashionistas, so let's put it that way. Um, but I, it's, I think it's hilarious. Um, so more power to him. I think he's earned it, too. <laughs> so, um, so one of the other things I wanted to bring up was during that I, that little run that Eugene and Rosie were having was um, one of the things I was noticing was, and, and this is something that I noticed in the ramp-up episode that we had, episode 24, was that... Um, the idea of kind of making the walker scary again. Now we brought this up in season eight when we were talking about Carl and how he ended up dying. Um, and a lot of people were set upset with the way that he did die. But I think part of what makes the way he died important, and I'll mention it again, is that it shows how dangerous walkers are. I think we've gotten used to the idea that these people are are masters at taking them out. But I think to take walkers for granted is a huge mistake and now that we have sentient walkers um quote unquote you know the basically the whispers i think that it's more important than ever right now to kind of accentuate how terrifying they are 
and and then including this whispers element um there's there's a there's a an attempt here to kind of make it like i i use the acronym like instead of m-a-g-a like maga i said m-w-f-a make walkers frightening again so i i really enjoy the idea of 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 what Nicotero and all the props people and 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 the cinematographers too because i i am seeing a lot of elements of of cinematography involved and direction involved in, in terms of uh camera direction and art direction uh that really kind of support the terrifying um nature of the whispers oh and on that note i just found out that um michael satrazimus the guy uh, one of our f- most favorite directors from fear the walking dead and he's he's actually directed episodes of the walking dead before um one of our one of the, our fav- most favorite um episodes on fear the walking dead uh laura and he's he's done more but Laura and also um, that bottle episode with um, with um, Alicia and um, Charlie uh, in that house. Um, he's going to be directing the season eight finale, and so th- I can think of no better person to do that than Michael Satrazimus because he has a way of of painting a scene um, a- and letting it unfold in a way that's really um, measured. It's not too sudden. It's not too soon. Like. There's just such a huge difference between um, the directing styles of the first five, first seven episodes and what Michael Satrazimus does. He's more good when it comes. To, he's he's better. He's more good. He's better when it comes to um, slowly letting things unfold. Um, he he has a better concept of cinematography of, of staging a scene. So you know you really get into it. You know it really sucks you into the to the action when it does happen. Um, so I, I'm really excited for that um, in the upcoming episode. Um, but yeah, but then in episode seven, we've got like the whispers saying things now too, saying more things They're like, she's dead, but we're getting close to her. Don't let her get away. We found her. Get her this way. I see her. Um, so those, those things, it's, it's just, it's terrifying. It's and and I love how Cudlitz kind of went into that. He's like, you know, we wanted the opener to kind of be in your face, you know, confusing, kind of like the Blair Witch Project. And I, and I, I until he said that, I, I didn't quite know what to make of that. And so, um, uh, I think what I want to get into next was, um, yeah, like, okay, so the one question I actually had, and I know that we're not really going to get to it um, until later. And so, you know, if you do want to leave comments, and I, I would love to get your opinion on, on why Michonne chose Hilltop of all places um, in terms of where to keep, where to leave Magnus' group. Like, what, what is her rationale? They have no relationship with the Hilltop. So why them? Like, is it make it their problem sort of thing? Yeah. <laughs> Addressing the huge lag. Yeah, I mean, it, since they have no relationship with the Hilltop, I mean, was it her way of bridging the gap? Is it her way of dragging the Hilltop into trusting people again? Like, if if I'm going to have to trust people, Hilltop is going to have to trust people too? Or maybe it's the idea of bringing them into the council or, you know, oh, we voted for it to have them stay, but we want to know what you think. It's a really good question because I'm, I'm wondering why she decided to do that. What is their deal? Because it doesn't sound like they have a good relationship anyway, so... It's something I'm not going to really have the answer to until much later. Um, you know, and the other thing about keeping them disarmed, I mean, I know it's a trust thing, but I'm wondering if this is not a little of that Negan, you know, you're just like me sort of thing that Michonne is exhibiting, like not arming them at all. Um, yeah, and I also noticed the similarities between um, just like Maggie was trying to avoid Negan in the first few episodes, um, you know, after like that year and a half um, time jump from season eight and season nine. 
um, you see Michonne kind of avoiding Maggie in the in the form of you know taking Magna's group only so far just to kind of abandon them you know when they get when they get really close and of course she can't do that when she finds out that Rosita has been found by the hilltop. Uh, actually, and to that note, um, one of the coolest things um, at the end of, of the last episode was um, when you see the two hilltop spears coming down the hill on horseback. And I'm like looking at the one guy and I'm like, I know who that is. You know, if not for the beard, I would have, no- I would have noticed who that was right away. But, um, but many of you guys may, may or may not know about C. Thomas Howell. You know, he was actually an E.T. like when he was really, really young. But he's kind of like a... He's kind of like a sci-fi veteran in a ways. Um, he, he's kind of a like in, in some terms, he's like a like a, a veteran B actor in sci-fi films, like many many different sci-fi films. So just to see him like that, I'm like, what the hell? I hope he sh- shows up again. Like he's he's a very good actor, actually. I mean, it's it's kind of a crime that he's not in more um, starring roles. Um, but just it was just to see him like as a hilltop uh, uh, spear or like a scout, you know, just really odd and. And, and like oddly placed is just so weird but um i do hope we see him again in like future episodes I, I don't know if that's going to happen but you know why not um another thing that i noticed that um <laughs> sorry i in the dark too i mean i can't avoid the lag at this rate um but another thing that i noticed from from this episode was that we finally got to see yumiko um actually show her tactician chops like when Sadiq finally reveals the fact that um, Maggie's not at Hilltop because, of course, Michonne's uh, in the dark uh, about her, you know, because she assumes that she's there and, and you have all those walkers coming in at the same time, you know, so, of course, there's not going to be any blowback because, uh, you know, oh, saved by the walkers. Oh, we got, we got to kill those walkers. So Yumiko kind of jumps into action and starts telling everybody what to do, including, like, Michonne and in her group. She's just telling him what to do. And I think that's really, really cool. But Sadiq just says, you know, why don't you just complete the way to Hilltop? You know, um, with Maggie gone, there's just no reason for you not to go. Um, and he, he just mentions, you know, what about Carl? What about your promise to Carl? You know, you made a promise to Carl that you would, you know, on his deathbed, that you would um, bring people in, that you would see his vision of the future. And I think that's, it, and it's a good thing that he was caught up by the Hilltop Spears, but but I think it packs this huge punch. I mean, among all these other punches she's been having to take, um, among which Luke has even said, you know, like the idea of beauty and the apocalypse and the idea of art, you know, that sort of thing. Even in the face of her question, Luke is able to confidently say, yes, it's really important. Even after everything I've seen, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, after surviving, you know, we have to be able to build community, that we have to break bread. Now, the one question, another question that I wanted to ask um, to the general audience is um, the thoughts around um, what this festival, uh, what this fair represents. And a lot of people, we were talking about the Owl Festival at the beginning of season eight. And I'm wondering if this is the same thing. They're calling it a fair, but I'm wondering if it, if that if it's that. And I don't know anything about the Owl Festival. I know that Carol brought it. I mean, when it was said out loud, Carol did bring it up. And it has some sort of really, really big significance, at least in the comics. Oh, so yeah. After all the little bonding exercises that Daryl and Henry have, and Daryl kind of accepting his role as the, the guardian angel of Henry, I'm trying to think of... It's kind of interesting to kind of see that unfold. Henry kind of pitching in to help out um, Daryl um, when it came to the walkers and dog. Um, and and Daryl kind of letting in Henry and you kind of see his interplay. And Carol's very pleased with the situation too. 
What's really cool about that is, first of all, her manipulation worked perfectly. Um, But you do see something at the end of episode seven, and that is um, when it comes time, when when Daryl finally gets there and he finds out about Rosita and that they're going to have a search party to find Eugene. I love that Daryl looks at Carol as if to ask her permission. There are a couple of other things that get lost in the audio recording for this podcast. Uh, this is Dave recording after the fact. And one of those things is the relationship between Eugene and Luke. How similar they look, talk, act, even dress, the colors they use in terms of clothing, um, even their hairstyles. Basically, when they first see each other, Eugene and Luke, it's kind of as if, as if they're looking at in a mirror image. And... Eugene is kind of way past the looking glass looking at Luke, his former self, and kind of criticizing him in a way. You know, also, Luke, what are you talking about? We make stew. So there are things like that that come up, and um, I'm kind of hoping to see more of this interplay because it's kind of funny to watch uh, Eugene criticize himself. You do see that some saviors have come around. I'm actually surprised at DJ being one of them, too, because he was the one who picked up the axe in, um, I think it was episode four, you know, trying to, in that mob that was forming between Oceanside and Hilltop and the Saviors. But I, I guess um, I guess he chose wisely because he's kind of reporting to Michonne directly. So it's kind of interesting to see the passage of time change things between the communities. And speaking of communities, in the process of the Marauders, the Savior Marauders, um, bilking like Henry and Carol, we find out that the Savior, that the Sanctuary has fallen. So, you know, it's kind of like you do the best you can and you hope people cop on, but um, at the end of the day, you can't save what's going to fall. You know, it's kind of like if it's going to fall, it's going to fall. You just kind of have to let it if people aren't going to come around. I'm kind of excited to see how Magnus Group reacts to Hilltop as well. I mean, they're going to they're going to Hilltop. They'll see Henry. We're going to see a bunch of new people at Hilltop as well. So I, I'm curious to see how they, they're going to shake out as well. Um, I'm really curious to see where um, Gustavo Gomez has been, um, who plays Marco on the show. Apparently, he is working under Earl Sutton, the blacksmith. So I think we're going to see him in the next episode. Uh, so that's going to be great. So with that, and Magnum and all those people, just, just watch and wait. I, Hilltop seems like a, a good place to be. Which kind of brings me to Angel Theory um, and how she got cast the role of Kelly. Apparently she was auditioning for the role of Connie. And even though she didn't make the cut and she had the right look, uh, you know, according to the comic book character, they still wanted her on the show so badly that she they cast the role of Kelly for her so that she could play alongside of Connie, played by Lauren Ridloff. And so literally the TWD cat, you know, casting basically created the role of Kelly around Angel Theory. Um, I found this out uh, a couple of nights ago on her Instagram live feed and I got a chance to ask her and she actually answered. And it was a kind of really cool moment where I hadn't really heard of how this actually happened considering her that Kelly is actually a man in the comic book and actually is supposed to be Connie's boyfriend. But it's the idea that they loved her so much that they cast her complete, the character completely around Angel Theory. So I thought that was pretty cool. So it's no surprise for some of you that actually managed to listen to the live show that there were some technical difficulties. But among them were uh, some of the things that I found out after the fact. And that was the audio cutting out uh, in my backup audio stream. And that was really disappointing because I made a couple of points about the Savior Marauders having picked up some equipment apparently from... It's what it seemed to be Oceanside, even though it wasn't said out loud. Carol had referenced that the stuff belonged to people that we lost, the stuff that they stole. 
and Jed basically explaining how um, they had just found it, and so they weren't involved in whatever happened to Oceanside. It, and it's it's kind of clear that it's from Oceanside, though it's not really, you can't be 100% certain because of the weapon Regina has, which is kind of a harpoon. Um, and so there are things like that that happen. Um, there were some lines that I discussed that were pretty interesting. And um, one of the bigger points that I wanted to come across and basically talk about was uh, Squawking Dead, how the show is shaping out after a year, uh, how we're reprioritizing the way we run this podcast. And one of those things is that we are looking for a third host. Uh, It's no surprise that we've been trying to do a lot more live shows um, consistently Wednesday nights at 10. Uh, and we've been kind of falling short for a variety of reasons. And I think a lot of the reason for that is, you know, I mean, we, as we may have mentioned many times in the show, is that we are kind of workaholics, uh, Carol and I. And uh, we work like basically 60 hour weeks uh, at our day job. And this isn't a full time gig. We don't make any money off of it. Um, but we hope to someday build this thing out to do to be something more. And I think part of that is going to involve um, a rotation of um, regular uh, guest hosts, basically. Among them being Carol, um, I think she's going to be stepping back to take more of a control of the blog primarily, uh, being a co-host when she can. Uh, and I think having a third host will make us consistent. I mean, I, I try my best to actually stick to the program. I have struggled in the last couple of weeks, but I've been I've managed to rally and muster my strength and and, you know, if I don't make it exactly at 10, it might be like 10.30, 10.45, sometimes 11 o'clock before I'm ready. But, you know, I'm ready that night. And, you know, we go live, notifications go out, and then we have a show, and then we're good. Unless Carol is in the same position and she can't make it or she falls asleep or something like that. So the whole idea being is that if you want to be a part of the show, I encourage you to leave a comment in this video or this podcast. Or you can head out to squawkingdead.com. There is a little link at the bottom right of the screen where you can either DM us or uh, on Twitter or you can send us a message on Facebook Messenger. You can also email us at info at squawkingdead.com and just let us know if you're interested. And if you are, um, I'll talk to you and see if uh, see how what your skills are, you know, what you've been doing. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be just one person if I have a rotation of people that I can work with that are willing to bounce ideas off of me. And that would be great if, I mean, I, I want to talk to people that have skills, um, you know, some skills on radio or some skills in storytelling. I, I can probably figure it out by way of having a conversation with you. Um, some of the other things that I look for are just people with um, just really wild and crazy ideas. I mean, ideally I think I would want to be um, hosting the show with somebody who has more comics knowledge um, people that read the comic book uh, to basically supplement what Carol's uh, Carol's got in terms of that knowledge. Uh, not required. Uh, honestly, this is a show, uh, this is a podcast about the shows, but it's just me- merely a bonus. Uh, so I-, I think that's kind of where we're going. I-, I think the way the show is going to end up being is more of a direct interaction with the crowd, you know, basically feeding off of the chats while we're uh, breaking down episodes and people chiming in with ideas that we can talk about on the show and, and explore deeper uh, or not, or just screw around, you know, every now, every once in a while, it's, it's okay to do that. Uh, we, it's kind of the thing that I personally have been discovering on the show. And I think that's, that's kind of where the show's going. Um, another thing that we've wanted to do uh, and we're going to be announcing at our next podcast uh, or maybe after the next podcast covering the 
mid-season finale is that we're going to be do maybe we're going to be doing a couple of giveaways possibly. So um, one of them being probably another McFarland Toys giveaway as the grand prize, maybe a Funko Pop toy. We some saw some of the plushies that uh, Chris Hardwick was giving away a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think that's a really good idea for like a third prize. I mean, who who doesn't like that? And some of you guys now have children, and I think it's kind of a cute thing that both you and your child can play with. So we're just thinking of new giveaways to kind of have, and we really got want you guys involved and in, and in, in this kind of giveaway um, thing. And uh, we we really want you involved more on the show, and we want to see where that takes us, and uh, if it's you know if it's something that you're interested in. Uh, we basically just want to get the community, the family, the TWD family involved in the show more. And uh, I, I think I think it just seems that that's the way the show is going. And uh, with that, the sh- uh, I'm recording this basically after the fact because most of the audio is missing. And what I really want to do right now is I've got an hour before the show. I'm going to cut this thing up. I'm going to put it on the internet. And uh, Uh, I wish you a good evening, and we'll talk to you about the mid-season finale shortly. Uh, See you later, guys.